How do you follow that? <laughs> you know, I always, I, always, I always tell my employees at work, you always really hope the presentation before you is bad. <laughs> Helps you look good. Um, if the presentation before you is good, uh-oh. Uh, it is good to be back with you guys. I got one thing, one bone to pick with you. Okay, it's not second chances. It's like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh chances. Uh, you ever read this book, man? God doesn't give his people one chance, two chances, three chances. You're just surprised how many he keeps giving. Uh, it's the beauty of them that we can keep coming back to him, uh, knowing that he's got such an unbelievable love for us that if we're truly repentant, he brings us right back into the fold. Uh, good to be back with you guys. I missed you last week. Did everybody hear why I was gone? Yes. 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 Okay, good. I was not interviewing with the church in Dallas. Okay? We were, we were there to watch Kristen and Travis get unbelievably blessed. Uh, it was a cool experience for visitors. We had uh, members of our church who are military. Uh, they were part of a program called Operation Finally Home, uh, which basically gives a free custom-made home away to a service member who they find deserving. And so it's kind of this big surprise. They don't know it's going to happen. And so Travis and Kristen, they want a home. Uh, we got to go up to Dallas to be part of the welcoming crew to, to uh, be there and say, hey, congratulations. It was a really cool moment. It was kind of like one of those things you see on a television show. So it was fun to be part of. Beautiful house. Um, got a job offer. God is just working in their lives. So it was so fun to be part of that. Um, let me give you two really boring statements, but I just need you guys to take notes. One... This Wednesday, March 1st, we were supposed to be going to the food bank. That date has moved. Uh, we are going to be going instead on the 21st. Where's Ava? 21st. So we're going to go on Tuesday the 21st. Uh, we have that group full. We only needed about seven slots. That's full. But if you're interested in going in our next trip, there is a sign-up sheet in the back. So just go ahead and sign up if you're interested in it. But again, that Wednesday night, we were going to go to a food bank. We are not doing that. We will have regular Wednesday night services as normal. Second thing, Thursday the 2nd, we're going to have our first prayer meeting of 2017 here at the church. Just an open time for us to come in, fellowship, pray. Third thing, after church, if you're a parent or a guardian, we are having a parents meeting to talk about the Children's Church program, some changes that are coming our way. If you can hang out for about 15, 20 minutes right after service in the fellowship hall, we will cover all of those things that are happening. All right, did everybody catch those? All right, fantastic. All right, so I have a confession to make to you. I am a Hoosier. I am not from Texas. But I will tell you, when I moved here about 13, 14 years ago, I actually remember as they were packing up our stuff in Michigan, um, the, the truck driver guys who were moving our, our, our furniture were telling us about Whataburger. They were like, there's this fantastic burger place in Texas called Whataburger. As soon as you get there, try it. It's amazing. You're going to love it. It's great. Well, we got down here probably within a week, tried it, and I had to completely agree with them. Whataburger was awesome. And for about 13 years, Whataburger has been my go-to burger place. Until about six months ago. About six months ago, a little place called In-N-Out Burger opened up. And I know it's sacrilege in Texas to not talk about Whataburger. And I still like Whataburger. But my go-to place now is In-N-Out Burger. You want to know why? The ingredients are fresher. 
the food, in my opinion, tastes better. It's cheaper. And they even put Bible verses on the cups. Amazing. Now, I know besides me being a fat guy talking about burgers, you're wondering, why is Pastor Luke talking to us about this? And it's because in most of our lives, a lot of the things that we have relationships with, we have relationships with them as consumers. Which means that as soon as somebody else comes around and offers us something cheaper, better, faster, or nicer, what do we do? We switch. So I want to ask you a question. Do you go to Harmony Baptist Church? Or are you Harmony Baptist Church? See, most of us would admit with almost all of our relationships, we will be as loyal as long as it pays off in our favor. Really, the rare circumstances are things like great friends and family where we realize, like, I'm stuck with you guys forever. Can't get rid of you. If I could shop for another family, I probably would and probably could find a better one. But we got the same blood. We got the same name. Can't get rid of you. But most of our relationships, we have a consumer mentality where we go for what the place offers us. What can you do for me? And the moment I can find someone who can do more for me, nice knowing you. Catch you later. We also have this mentality a lot of times when we come to church. We come to church and we shop for a church. And let's be honest. Uh, is anybody recently within the last year church shopped? You guys don't want to admit that to me, do you? <laughs> I'll tell you what, in the last five years I have, right before I came here. I church shopped. I'll be honest, I was highly critical. I was looking for certain things that I wanted to see. And you know what I finally realized? I finally realized all I really need to see is that they preach God's word, they love people, and they love God. Amen. If I see those things happening, and I feel like God is pulling me there, that's it. Amen. Amen. But a lot of us, when we go to churches, we're looking, right? Like, who's got the good music? That's pretty good music. I like that. Yeah. Uh, pastor, is he interesting? Is it, do I like his messages? Are they not too short but not too long? Do they inspire me and challenge me but just a little? I don't really want him stepping on my toes frequently. I'd like to actually leave the place feeling like I'm pretty much doing everything right right now and that God's about to bless me big. Right? And so we kind of put this list in of things that we want. Oh, a great children's program where basically my kids disappear. I don't have to hear from them for an hour and a half. Man, if they had a coffee shop, that'd be great. All right? Free coffee, free donuts. Man, that'd be wonderful. And oh my goodness, if I could just watch it at home sometimes, that's good too. Right? We put together this laundry list of things we want, and we go shopping. Well, here's the problem. That's not what God wants from a church. And frankly, a church built on people who are here for what they can get from the church is always going to be a church that's disappointing. Because the reality is, that's not what this is. Instead, I don't want you to be a church that says, I go to Harmony. I want you to be a group that says, I am Harmony. Amen. I am Harmony. Yeah. Amen. Do you notice the picture I put up here? <laughs> yeah. What do you see there? A group of Dallas Cowboy fans. Why do you think I picked a picture of football fans? Because I am envious of football fans. It's sad. 
In America, a lot of worship happens on Sunday. Just not in buildings like this. Do, do you ever pay attention to what football fans do for their teams? Every Sunday morning, thousands of people in the greatest anticipation of their lives line up so early the doors aren't even open. In the cold, while the building is locked up, they will meet and sit by their cars, making their own food, talking with complete strangers in utter anticipation and excitement. In fact, they will build relationships with people that they've never known, have never met, don't look like anything like them, but because they're wearing the same jersey. Oh, you're a Staubach fan, man. He was the best, right? Staubach all the way. Not only are they excited that morning about it, but they've been talking about it all week. In fact, they let everybody in their life know that they are a fan of the Cowboys. You can look at their car and see the star on the back. You can look at their wardrobe and see them wearing the jerseys every Thursday or Friday. If you talk to them about anything, eventually the Cowboys will come up. And my goodness, they will sacrifice for that team. They will pay obscene amounts of money for jerseys, for food, for tickets, for everything just to be part of the action. And my goodness, when they show up, when they finally congregate in the building, are they quiet spectators? No, they are participants. They are the magical 12th man. It is their energy, their excitement, their emotion which will propel the team to victory. Now here's the reality. It's all junk. You can take the Dallas Cowboys, flip them into Redskins jerseys, and they play just as hard and just as good. And frankly, they wouldn't care that you were gone. Have you ever noticed that professional basketball teams actually will change cities? Seattle Supersonics moved from Seattle to the Oklahoma City. Do you know how many of the players said, no, this is my home. These are my people. I'm staying. Do you know how many did that? Zero. Because what they'll admit is, dude, this is just a jersey with colors. So what's sad is, is we see all around us people who will sacrifice and do amazing things just to be part of something. Something stupid. I mean, really. It's, 11, it's 22 men with a piece of leather running on a field of grass. And we will build our lives around it. I just wish we had some of that here. You know, I have to be honest. I love Maria's voice. I hate that I hear it so loud on Sunday mornings. Do you know why? I should struggle to hear her because you guys are singing so loud. Do you know what's funny? When I'm in the Spurs game, do you know what I do struggle to hear? The person next to me. I struggle just to have a conversation with my wife because the crowd's so loud. Why don't we have that problem here? <laughs> See, what's funny about churches is, is all the things that people will complain about is why they don't go to church, they freely do for things that they actually enjoy. So why does that happen? How do we become a group of people that doesn't just go to harmony, but a group of people that is harmony? We are the church. We don't just come here for what it can do to us. We come because we're part of it. We realize if there's a deficiency, we're going to make it up. We realize if there's a weakness, guess who's going to fix it? We are. 
We realize if there is need, we're the ones that are going to provide. See, here's the beauty of this. When you go to the football game, guess what really happens to you if you try to participate? I encourage you, next time you're at the Dallas Cowboys game, run out on the field and see how happy they are to have you in the huddle. I'm guessing you're not going to get a hug from Dak Prescott. I'm guessing he's not going to say, hey man, we're so glad you're ready to play. I'm thinking you're probably going to get arrested and barred from ever going to a game again. But here, we want you to be part of it. We're begging for you to be part of it. Here you actually get to step up and not just be a spectator, you get to be part of the team. Amen. And that's what God wants you to be excited about. So as we talk about this series, I Am Harmony, there's a couple key things I want you to pay attention to. So I want you to keep these in the front of your mind as we're moving through the series. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. This is Paul telling us about the church. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Amen. What's he saying? You used to be different. You used to be separated. You used to be defined by your race. You used to be defined by your income. You used to be defined by the world. But now, you are one defined by the Spirit that brings you together, the Spirit of God. Amen. I'll be honest, the, most, the thing I'm most pleased with with this church is how different you guys look from each other. And to be honest, that's new. If I'm just frank with you guys, five years ago, if you would have walked in here, it was a bunch of old white people. No offense, old white people. Kids, that's a trick too. If you just say no offense, you can then say offensive things and people can't get mad at you. All right? Five years ago, you walked into this building and it was just old white people. And I remember, I was confused when they were interviewing me. I'm like, San Antonio? It's the south side of San Antonio. Are you hiding the Mexicans? Or what's going on here? Because it's kind of weird. And I even asked, like, do you guys not want Mexicans here? Because you should know, my dad's Mexican, so like, I don't want you to find that out six months from now and be like, goodbye. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, that's not the intention. It's just happened. And now I look around and I'm like, man, I think anybody could walk in here and go, I feel comfortable. I feel welcome. That's great. Because that's the church. Amen. What God said the church is supposed to be is all these people coming together and what used to divide them now brings them together because God's Spirit pulls them together. Amen. That's awesome. That's the church. Diverse, strange, weird people coming together. Creating a really cool group. So that's a one key thing to always keep in mind. Second, we already had a sermon series on this, but that spirit that we've all been united in, what is it? It's a spirit not of fear, but of what? Power, love, and self-control. So all of you should be powerful, loving, self-disciplined people. We should see that consistently throughout this group. So when you start to think about that and you go, man, I've got this unbelievably diverse group of people and they are united by a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, it should get scary. Like the world should be like, these people are dangerous. 
We don't want to mess with them because that is a force that's to be reckoned with. That's a force that can change the world. And that's what we've always been as the church. We've always been that light in the midst of darkness. We've always been that force that digs its feet in by the river of truth. And no matter how far the world pushes, we don't move. It's amazing if you study history that the church even exists today. Because Lord knows people have tried to kill it. But you can't. Because you've got those people united with that spirit and you can't mess with that. So as we go through this series, I want you thinking about those two things and I want you thinking about this. Harmony's mission statement. Hopefully you know this, but let me read it for you. It's building a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Now i got to be honest to you. We ripped this off. There's this book called the Bible, and we went and stole from it to write the mission statement. Now, at a church, that's a good thing. At a church, everything should be from God's Word. Everything should be His idea, not our ideas. So what I want to do in this series is I want to walk you through what this mission means. Because every single word of it was picked with intention. Every single word of it was picked to show you what it means to be the church. Now let me give you one caveat before we jump in. Nowhere in the Bible will you hear a verse that says you have to be a member of a church. However, the only way that God describes being a Christian is as being a member of a church. So nowhere am I going to pull up a verse and go, hey, you know, in 3 John chapter 2 it says, thou shalt be a member of a church. doesn't exist. But in the New Testament, every single time God talks to Christians about how they should live, how they should love, and how they should work together, it is in the context of being a member of a church. Amen. And here's why. You can't do this alone. For us to be that body... It means we have to come together and create a covenant among each other that says, I acknowledge I'm your brother, I'm your sister. I acknowledge that I am part of this body. I acknowledge that we are subservient to God and we are subservient to that word. And from this point forward, not only do we love and sacrifice for each other, but we also are obedient to what this says. And the expectation is from this moment forward, If I slip and fall, or you slip and fall, we will reach out our hands and pick each other back up. Now that's weird, especially in 2017. Because let's be real, we don't like to be friends anymore with accountability. I like to be a Facebook friend. I can put stuff out, but not have to receive anything back if I don't want it. I don't want you up in my business. I don't want you telling me I did something wrong. I don't want you holding me accountable. But guess what? That's why Facebook relationships are worthless. Because they're not real. The reason you're struggling is not because you don't have enough people paying attention to you. The reason you're struggling is because you don't have enough people in your life who love you to the point that they will sacrifice for you. You don't have enough people in your life who love you enough to look you in the eyes and go, you're messing up right now. I'm here to help you. You don't have enough people that when you fall into that pit, they will climb down there with you Get dirty with you and pull you back up. And so to do that at our church, what we say, we want you to be a member. Because we want you to say, hey, I'm in this with you. I get what you're about, 
I get the journey we're on, and I want to be part of that. And so I want you to think, if you've been one of our regular attendees coming every week to this, join us. Join us on this journey. Because we want to create that relationship where it's agreed between you and I that we are family and that we are moving on God's path together. Amen. All right? So let's look at this. Building a family. Three words. Building a family. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1. <coughs> Acts chapter 1 is an awesome book. It's an awesome book because it's basically what happens as soon as Jesus disappears. So we all know the Easter story. We know God loves us so much. He sends His Son Jesus to earth. Jesus loves us. Jesus teaches us. Jesus performs miracles. Jesus dies on the cross to wipe away our sin. And He rises three days later. And where Acts picks up is what happens after that? How does the church form from the actions of Christ? And so if we look at Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 8. So it says, When they had come together, this is the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Great question, right? They're like, okay, so Jesus, you're back. You're back. You've defeated death. You've shown the world. We're here now. What do we do next? Great question, right? Isn't that what you'd be thinking about? Their minds immediately go to, are we going to build the kingdom again? Are we going to overthrow the Romans? Are we going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are we going to rule the world? That's what they want to know. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood before them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love this, right? So, Jesus, what are we going to do? Jesus basically says, guys, I'm Lord, your servants. Me and the Father have a plan, and it's going to happen. Right now, your only job is to be my witnesses. And then he goes. And what I love is, is, is while he's ascending, angels appear around the disciples and kind of look at them like, what are you guys doing? He said, go. You just stand here? Go. It's a command. You're supposed to start moving. Immediately, the action and response of God is like, I have given you your orders. They're twofold. Go into all the world to make disciples and be my witness. Go. And so brothers and sisters, this gets to the heart of the relationship with God. He is Lord. We are servants. Notice, did he lay out a 34-point plan? Did he go, let me walk you through the next 5,000 years of how this is going to work? No, he goes, trust me. Just trust me. Me and God got this. I need you to go be my witness. That's it. It's real simple. And immediately the expectation is they should be doing that right away. Immediately. Now look what happens. Let's jump to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, so just so you know, Pentecost was a feast 
of the Jewish people that happened 50 days after Passover. So when these feasts happened, the people would all come to the temple in Jerusalem. And what you have to realize is thousands of years have spread since the beginning of Israel. So when all the Jewish people come back to Jerusalem, you're not just talking about Jews from Jerusalem. You're talking anybody with Jewish heritage that's all over the Middle East. And so when this Pentecost happens, you have this huge festival of people from all over the land in Jerusalem. It's kind of like if you go to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. When you go down there, you're not just going to run into people from Louisiana. You're going to run into people from all over America coming for this amazing festival. So that's what Pentecost is. All these people congregated in Jerusalem. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, again the disciples, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Do you get what's happening here? We're not talking about angelic tongues. We're talking about 12 Jewish guys who are sitting together. All they know how to speak is Hebrew. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in this force of fire. And all of a sudden, they can preach in languages they've never known. It's kind of like what I wish would happen sometimes at 9.30, that I could just start speaking Spanish to you guys. <laughs> I keep praying for it. It hasn't happened yet. But they just suddenly start speaking foreign languages. Now here's what I want you to understand. Do you already see the effort that's moving forward in the disciples' lives? They've been told go. They've gathered together. They're working out their plan. As soon as they realize they have the Spirit, they just start going preaching. Now here's what I love about that. Do you remember where these guys were before Jesus resurrected? Let's be real. The disciples are not bold, brave men. Remember what happened when Jesus got arrested? Where'd they go? They ran. Right? They were with Jesus. Like, yeah, we got your back, Jesus. We're with you. Uh-oh, soldiers. Peace out. See you later. Gone. To the point that even when people would ask him, like, didn't you guys hang out with Jesus? No, nope, not me. Mm -mm. I don't know that guy. Never seen him. Never been around him. You got to be confused with somebody else. These are not bold, brave men. But what happens? The Spirit comes into their lives and who they start acting like. Like Jesus. Now all of a sudden, they realize they got this power and they're out preaching. They're out preaching the Word. And what happens, I'm not going to read it to you, but I encourage you to take some time. It's verses 14 through 36. Peter stands up and he gives a sermon. He gives a sermon of sermons. And basically what he says is, you guys killed Jesus. He goes, God loved you so much. He sent His only Son to save you. God loved you so much. He sacrificed to send His Son to you to show you love, to serve you, to teach you, to guide you, to lead you. And you know what you did to Him? You know what you did to Him? 
You nailed them to a cross. You spit on them. You murdered them. But you know what? He came back. You guys thought you won? You didn't. He came back. He came back and he started something new. Basically, he says, who wants to be part of it? Who wants to be part of it? Now, for you who are skeptical, because I'm assuming there's still in here who probably aren't Christians yet, there's a very important thing to note here. Did anybody say to him, Jesus didn't come back? No. It was common knowledge to this audience of people that yes, he came back. Nobody disputed that. Why? Because they'd seen him. They saw him after the resurrection come back, be with his disciples, so nobody was disputing that part anymore. And so now Peter's saying, who wants to be part of this? And look what happens. Verse 37. Now when they heard they were cut to the heart, man, what a great way to say it, right? He preaches a sermon and what does it do? It cuts to the heart. Through all the junk, through all the superficial mess, through all the facades that we like to put in, the words of God cut right to the heart. Hit them right where it matters. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Man, what a cool day. Can you imagine how exciting that was to the disciples? I mean, they're probably sitting there, 12 guys, wondering, like, is this going to work? Day one. The Spirit comes to work and 3,000 people come and say we'll be part of this. Now, brothers and sisters, if you've tuned out, focus back in. And I want you to really pay attention to the description of what this church looked like. And here's what I want you to understand. This is the expectation. Forget everything you see at mega churches. Forget your own church experience. This right here is what God describes the church as. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day. You get that, church? You would have known when this church had service times. Because they met every single day. You want to talk about giving? Nobody was counting 10% out. People were like, you're hungry? I got food. Come eat. You're hungry? I don't have food. Let me sell the car. I mean, that's the kind of dedication. 
It was truly family. Every day coming, every day worshiping, every day praying, every day sitting there, listening to the teachings of the apostles. Every day. We just talked about our last series, Be Strange. And I said, if you come to church once a week, nobody notices. You worship God seven days a week and you're strange. These guys were strange. People knew who they were. That's what I want for us. I'm not saying we're going to be at this building every day this week. But what I'm saying is, your brotherhood and love to each other should exactly exist every single day. Every single day you should go home and not just have your own joys and your own battles to fight, but those are your brothers and sisters around you. And it was an awesome thing to be part of Travis and Kristen's thing last week. It was so cool to have that much joy for something that really wasn't even about my life. But just that part of being with family and having them have something awesome happening was so cool. It's what God offers in being part of the family. And so there's three things I want you to get from this. The first, it takes effort. Being part of the church requires effort. You gotta want it. You gotta desire it. And forget that. You don't want need to want it, you need to desire it. You need to be hungry for it. You gotta be going after it with everything you've got. It's not just like, oh yeah, that's nice. I'll be honest, guys, sometimes I think all of us, including myself, we got a little bit more of that, oh that's nice. I think all far too often we look in the mirrors or we talk to God and we are content with where we are today. We shouldn't be. We should be sitting there going, man, how do I get closer? How do I get further closer to Him? How do I just keep pushing that much closer to where He's at? That hunger and that desire to not become content. I want Him. 1 Corinthians, Paul describes it this way. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. What's he saying? I know where I'm going. I know what my finish line is, and every day, I'm running towards it. Are you? And he's so right. Great athletes, there is no off-season. Great athletes, there is no practices. Because you know what happens? They practice with the team, and then they go practice by themselves. And when off-season happens, you know what they do? They go work to get better even more. They just keep going. That's why we're impressed when we see teams just like continually win. Because you know what happens to most of us? Most great sports teams win a championship and then what happens? They're not hungry anymore. They get content. They get fat and lazy. They start thinking about money. They start thinking about themselves. They lose the goal and it dissipates. Awesome teams, they just get hungrier. They just get hungrier. Is that you? If you couldn't tell me a single thing about your life, could I watch you and know where you're running? Could I just look at your life and go, I know exactly what they are chasing after. And man, it's something awesome. 
Second thing it takes is it takes love. Love is the fuel that makes this whole thing work. Why are we here? Because we have a God who sacrificed beyond belief for us. We have a God that, beyond explanation, beyond reason, has loved us in such an awesome, unbelievable way. It changed everything. But we can't describe His love. It's just that awesome. Because that's love is why we're here. It's what gets us here day one. But then what happens is, is we start to love each other. We start to realize, like, well, wait a minute. If God loves you that much, and I love Him more than anything, I probably should love you too. If you're precious to the one I love, you're precious to me. We start sacrificing for each other. I'll be honest, the thing I wish to see more at this church is sacrifice. I don't care if it's money, I don't care if it's time, I don't care if it's effort. But we still have a very small group of people who are carrying a great load of most of the weight. And typically when there's something new to get done, you know what happens? We look at that same group of people and go, okay, who's taking the third job? Who's taking the fourth job? Who's taking the fifth job? Do you realize with our staff, I, a couple years ago, I had to ask them to list out all the roles they had? Because all of them had like three or four at a time. We need more sacrifice. You have to realize that what this church is going to do is, is based on what we're going to give. What this church is going to do is based on what we're going to give. And so whether it's time, money, or effort, it's got to be sacrificial. It's got to be that point where you realize, I'm going to give this, and I'm going to give it to God's hands, because He's going to do far cooler things with it than I ever could. You've got to have that love. Look at John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's he saying? Guys, do you want to know how it looks? Whenever you want to know how to act, ask, how did Jesus treat me? How would Jesus treat me if I was in that situation? What kind of love would He show me? What kind of sacrifice would He make for me? Once I know that, that's how I'm supposed to act. It's got to be love that's driving us. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people are seeing the love. I think that's why churches are struggling in America now. I think people see us focusing on the morality and they don't see us focusing on the love. And I'm not to say that morality is not right. God has a way He wants us to live. But what no one should ever doubt is, man, that is a group of people that loves people. They love them. To a weird extent. To a point that's beyond what most people would do. Third thing. Unity. It's got to be one body. It's got to be one body. Here's the cool part, right? We all have different roles to play. We would not want a church of 65 Luke gradelesses because there'd be a whole lot of preaching, not a lot of listening. It'd be really hard to make decisions. We need a church of this. Of this. You are here, and you, and you alone, bring a talent and a gifting that no one else in this room has. You are a one-of-a-kind, handcrafted masterpiece of God that can't be duplicated or replicated. 
He has brought you to this family for a reason and you have something to give this church that we can't get from any other place. The only time that matters though is if we all bring it together to chase after the same thing. When we start doing that, watch out. I mean, here's what I always pray for, guys. I pray that we are such a forceful, powerful church in this community that we'd never even need to advertise. You wouldn't even need signs. Because people are like, oh, Harmony? Yeah, we know that place. Those people are everywhere. Basically, hey, just open your eyes and anytime you see somebody doing something loving or good, it's Harmony. That's how it should be. Just be like, man, that is just a, a life-changing, forceful church. And to be real, most of you are here because someone in your family came, God grabbed them and shook them and said, hey, let, run with me. They started running with the Lord and went, this is awesome. And you went, what, what's happened to you? Why are you different now? And they said, come on, come see, come see. People come because they see life's changed. And that comes from that unity brought together by the Spirit of God. Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we're going to keep going through this mission. But what I'm thinking about is in your own life is one, how much effort am I putting to being part of the church? Because you don't go to harmony, you are harmony. Two, how much love are you showing every single day to both God and to the people around you? And third, how much are you willing to sacrifice to be part of this? Are you a unifying presence in the body? Are you always seeking to bring the parts together? If we're doing that, we'll see that building of a family happen. We will see that family start to form before our very eyes. And to be honest, we see it every Sunday. Every Sunday I'm amazed to look out at this group and just feel like another piece has been added to the family. I feel like a proud papa that just has new kids showing up all the time. God's going to do awesome things. Let's build a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Ask Marie to come up. We're going to close in song. Me and Brother Joe will be up at the front to pray. I want you to think about where you're at in this church. I want you to think about the commitment you have to it. And I want you to really think about if you're ready to stop just being someone who shows up to watch, to being a participant in what we're doing here. Because man, it is awesome work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.